everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Successful Mind Podcast. On today's episode, David and I are going to answer our five most frequently asked questions that really apply to anyone, either their business or their personal life. Give a listen and see if maybe one of your questions is answered. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We are Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Okay, so on today's podcast, I want to change up the format a little bit. You cool okay. with that? Yeah, absolutely. So we we get questions all the time. We get questions through email. We get questions through contact our contact form. We get questions on our DMs. And what I did is I went back and I looked at some of the most commonly asked questions that we get. And okay. I figured we would just do like a rapid fire Q&A for this because if these are our frequently asked questions, and that means probably a lot of our listeners have these questions yeah. as well. So- I'm going to ask these questions and then we'll answer, answer them. them. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, I love answering questions. Let's just jump into this. It's going to be fun. Okay. First question. My glasses on here. I have an alibi for that one. <laughs> How can I? Here, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. How can I tell the difference between my ego and my intuition? Oh, that's a good one. That is a question that we get a Constantly. lot. Yeah. So let me see if I can break this one down a little bit because it's really, it's really an interesting thing. It's Part of it is understanding the voices that are going on in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, the The ego is a component of voices that's a little bit mixed with you, but it also has a lot to do with the people from your past because we build we build this outer shell that keeps us safe um, based on the information that we were given as we were growing up. But what's what's interesting about this question, though, is that when we're thinking about the difference between the ego and, and the t- intuition, we're probably asking the question because we want to know what direction to take. Yeah. Right? Would you yeah. say so? Like when we when we dig a little bit around this question, generally it's I'm trying to make a decision to do something or not to do something, and I'm not sure if I'm making a decision based on my ego or if this is my intuition talking to me Yeah. kind of a situation. Right. So here's something that I learned a long time ago, but it does take some work to get used to it. Your intuition almost always tells you what to do and not what not to do. Um, and, I, and, and I've gotten pushback on this over the years. Uh, and I probably would have pushed back on this myself a long time ago. But somebody gave me some great advice and said, listen, the, the only way really to know these things, because I, there was a question that I was part of one time that said, what's the difference between, how do you know the difference between intuition and fear? And I was just on the edge of my seat waiting for the answer to this one. And I was not happy with the answer because the guy that gave the answer said that the, the only way to know the difference was through experience. You had to act on each one over a period of time to really understand which one you were actually working with. But a lot of people think that intuition says, don't do something. And it's not necessarily true. In fact, most of the time it tells you what to do instead of what not to do. The part of us that tells us what not to do is our own fear response. Mm-hmm. 
But in order to understand that, you have to separate the idea that because you're experiencing fear, it's negative, right? So mm-hmm. we, we can experience fear energetically. I've heard people say, you know, I was going down the highway and something just said, get off at this, um, at this exit. And I got off at the exit and found out that there was a massive crash down the road or something told me not to do something. And I listened to it and did something else. So to do something is probably intuition. To not do something is probably fear. So that separates those two. But with ego, it's interesting because ego is usually a self-serving proposition, right? It doesn't have, intuition tells you to do something. Self. Wait a second. Self-serving mean it's good for you or self-serving means like self-preserverance, like well, no. self-saving? Well, no. What do you mean by self-serving? So... <clears throat> If you, if you are going to do something, if you ask the question, why do I want to do this? Like, what is my reasoning behind it? And you just listen to yourself. Generally, there be, there'll be some information that comes to your mind. I want to do this because I want to make money. I want to do this because it sounds like I want to do this because this is who I think that I am. Whatever, whatever it is that's, that's coming to your mind. But the ego was des- mostly designed to protect you. So it will generally go along the lines of what your subconscious mind has been programmed with to think that you need to keep you safe or in control or protect you, whatever it is that is a solid base foundation of how you think you should show up in the world. Intuition, not so much. Intuition can kind of guide you in a direction that may not feel comfortable, but it's really part of your purpose. It's, part, it's almost like, a, like a God guiding you or, or spirit guiding you or whatever. So to tell, again, you have to the experience tells the difference, but one of the things about the ego is that it generally has a reason that you're already aware of, right? I want to do this because I make a lot of money. I want to do this because it sounds a lot of fun. I heard somebody say one time that they wanted to, uh, they wanted to become a doctor, and the and person asked them, why do you want to become a doctor? And all the reasons that they had were because a doctor makes a lot of money, and a doctor is a secure thing, and I'll have an education. But there was nothing coming from the person saying, I feel in my heart that I just want to help people. I want to heal people. I want to be part of that. You know, So that's kind of the difference, right? The intuition would be giving you the, the main reason why you're going down this road, but not what it doesn't do, right? So if it's because I want to make a lot of money or I want to be famous or whatever, that's all ego noise. Right. Yeah, that's right. all, yeah. The ego is self-protecting. That's probably the biggest sign that you'll have is that there's not a lot of meaning behind it other than what is in it for me, right? That's, that's kind of the ego. And that speaks a little bit different based on the language that you heard from the people that raised you. So, I mean, we might come from the same community and my parents' language was slightly different than yours, so I'll hear it different in, in my mind, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's going to, it's, you're going to, you're going to recognize it through those voices of your past, but it's self-serving. It, it's not like it feels like your mission and you need to do this or whatever. It always has a reason that is something to do with something that you're probably insecure about. So it's not necessarily attached to passion. No, well, I think passion, I think, well, so let me, that's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. It has to do with excitement. It could definitely have to do with excitement. I mean, think about things that people do that are ego-driven or exciting. Sex, right? The, yeah, or like money-buying experiences. Money, like that can be exciting. You were just in Vegas, right? Yeah. Like gambling, Jesus. right? It's, you know, 
So I think I think you can experience that. I think passion's a little bit different. Passion has to something to do with more of the desire of your heart, something that you that you have a lot of love interest in that you're passionate about. So I would I would use the word excitement there. So ego could be excitement. Passion is intuition. I think so. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So if you're excited about something, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your intuition. Right. If you're passionate about something, you feel it kind of at a, you know, kind of a soul level or an, like an inside heart level, then it's generally intuition. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Okay. So the, the way to kind of help you understand whether you're making a decision based on ego or intuition is to really get clear on why you want that thing in the first place. Yes. Yes. Aha. Yes. When I, when I was, when I first started studying, I knew that I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what it was. And I was running through all these different ideas in my mind. And a couple of them, I actually started to take action on. And as I was moving closer to the decision process, something just felt off, completely off about it. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but it was like, I just know this really isn't it. But I was thinking about doing those things because of my ego and the ego, the the ego frame that I was going by at the time was, this is all I think I can do. I don't know that I could do something bigger. So it was very small, you know, type businesses that, that had nothing to do with my purpose. Got it. I think you've answered that question pretty clearly. Ready on number two? Let's do it. All right. Number two, how do I know when I should hire Oh, this is your wheelhouse right here. Oh, I get this question all the time. Um, so it really depends on on what your hire is. But I think every business owner at some point, at, in the very beginning, needs to hire immediately. Um, you think about it as a math equation. There's just you. And if you're doing all the things in your business, you're not getting the most from your time. Think about Every half an hour has a dollar sign attached to it. You're making a a chunk of money, right? Let's say your business pays you, let's say $100,000 a year. And you work on average, the average person works about 2,000 hours per year. So you do the math, divide that up, and you're basically making $50 an hour. Okay. So if you're doing everything yourself, the question you should be asking yourself is, could I be paying someone less to do these things that I'm doing? So if what you're doing is not something that you'd pay someone $50 an hour to do, you shouldn't be doing it because your time is worth $50 an hour at that point. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So if you're managing your own inbox, if you're managing your own calendar, if you're doing your own copywriting, if you're like, think of all the little things that you do as a beginning business owner. If you're making $100,000 a year and you're making $50 an hour, then you should be offloading you should be offloading those tasks to someone else so that you gain more time to do things that are worth $50 an hour or more. It's really a simple math equation. Now, let's say you're only making $30,000 a year in your business. You're making $15 an hour. Even at that rate, you could hire a part-time VA for 6 or $7 an hour and take all of those lower dollar tasks off your plate to free yourself up to make more money, therefore increasing your hourly rate. So that's how you know when you need to hire. 
You always want to start with an admin, a virtual assistant, an executive assistant. That should be everyone's first hire in any kind of business because those are the tasks that need to come off your plate first. So, so, so what about the idea higher in the direction that you want to go? Is that, is that exactly what you're saying I here? mean, it's 100% in, in, in line with that. Like if you want to grow and scale your business, but you're going to hold on to all the lower dollar tasks, you're not making a decision based upon where you're going. You're making a decision based on fear and where you are right now, not right. wanting to pay someone to help you. So it's 100% in alignment with hiring based on the direction that you're going. Gotcha. Most people will say, most successful business owners will say that if you're thinking about hiring, you're already hiring too late. Oh, that's good. Like if that's you're sitting good. there wondering, well, should I hire this person? Or chances are you're, you should have hired them like before. So really, how do you know when you should hire? It's really a math equation. You just begin taking things off of your plate based on your current math equation, which then increases your hourly rate because then you take that time that you were wasting on doing lower dollar tasks and you put it toward things like business development and sales, right? Yeah. And relationship building, the things that actually make you money, the things that are tied to revenue. And when you do that, your income goes up, which then gives you a higher rate per hour, which then allows you to hire the next person. Yeah. And it just builds on top of each other. That makes sense to makes me. Makes sense? Yeah. All right. Third question. How do I set a firm boundary with a family member? Okay. Um, let's see. Where do we want to start with this? First of all, let's say what, what a boundary does. A boundary really helps you maintain your value system and your standard in your life. Um, so setting a boundary with somebody else stops you it stops another person from either abusing you or bullying you or doing anything that uh is not okay with you yeah actually right kind of violates it, you sort of yeah, like, yeah, yeah 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 so the best so so here's here's the thing i think that i learned a couple of things with boundaries that are very interesting first of all one of the things that i learned with boundaries that didn't necessarily feel so good, but there's a lot of truth to it, was somebody said to me one time that you you cannot set a bound, like if you're not willing to walk away from the relationship, you can't set a boundary. And I was like, what? When I heard that, and they were like, seriously, well, think about it. And I started thinking about it and was right because the idea with a boundary is saying, listen, I, I'm not going past this point and if we go past this point, I need to rethink this relationship because yeah. this isn't working for me. So if you if you set a boundary with somebody who won't respect the boundary, you've got a real problem on your hands. And you do. You have to reevaluate what you want to do with the relationship. I think that setting a boundary with another individual, it, now let's say you're setting a boundary with a healthy person, right? So a person who has the ability to respect the boundary. It's letting them know what your limit is as far as whatever the topic might be. So one time I was with a group of people and a person was really pushing somebody else's boundary. And this person stopped the conversation politely, but firmly said, I will not now, nor will I ever be interested in having this conversation. And it was, it wasn't rude. It was just firm. It was letting the person know you need to stop right now because I'm not having this conversation with you now or ever, period. The person had overstepped the line 
in what they, in, you know, kind of like projecting their personal beliefs into mm-hmm. this other person's mm-hmm. uh, life. And it was going on and, and, and this person stopped it. And, and I learned something that day. I, I, because I was not raised in an environment that set boundaries, right? So that was something that I had to learn over the years. And that one was a real learning point for me because I was like, huh, that's what, that's what firm looks like without being too aggressive or abusive or, right. or anything like that. So I think, the, I think it depends on the person in the family, what your relationship with is with them. But I think you simply just tell them, listen, this is not okay with me. You don't have to say why it's not okay with you either. This is not okay with me. I'm no longer going to be willing to address this conversation with you. Period. That's it. I think this comes up in terms of family members. I mean, I've had multiple conversations with with our female business owners around setting boundaries with either their own parents or their in <laughs> or their in-laws, especially when it comes to their children. Yeah. Right? So if someone's taking care of their children, like maintaining a boundary of, you know, this is not an acceptable way to treat my child, or this is not an acceptable way to feed my child or, you know, boundaries in that way that are really tough because they value the relationship. They don't want to feel like that bad daughter or that bad, you know, that bad person. Right. So what happens is their boundaries get completely eroded and they end up resenting the family member rather than yeah. just saying something very clear, like what you just said, not, not am I now, nor will I ever be open to having this conversation yeah like nor is it now nor will it ever be okay for you to feed my kids skittles for breakfast exactly right exactly but then on the flip side you've got you've got unhealthy parents that will push boundaries yes this is where it gets rough this is where it gets rough you want to talk about that yeah so um I had I I had somewhat of a situation like this uh in my life. And of course we've had I don't know how many clients that have had this yes. had this issue. Yes. And the the thing is is that um there's a bit of a difference between dysfunctional and toxic. Toxic is is when I recommend to a client you really need to rethink being in a relationship with this person because it's it's not good for your health or your or your kids' health or your business, wherever it is that they're crossing a line that they absolutely refuse to, to do it. Um, but I also understand, like I'm compassionate about this because I understand like, let's say it's mom or dad and you just don't want to completely cut the relation It's your parents. I mean, I get it. It's your, it's, it's your parents. So, so I think you have to create a boundary with yourself. Like how far am I willing to go in this relationship? And then there's, there's different skill sets that you can learn. Proctor said one, he used to repeat all the time. He would go. He would say, "Don't go as often and don't stay as long." In other words, you have to limit the amount of time that you can be with somebody based on their ability to handle that time. That's kind of the yes issue that I ran ran into. I knew that after a certain period of time, it was going to go completely dysfunctional, uh, and up until that time, it was generally okay. Another thing is being able to redirect conversation and getting skilled at doing so. Because generally when a person is breaking a boundary with you, they're all they're they're coming from their subconscious mind. They're reacting, they're emotional, and and because they're in that state, if you can gently redirect them into something else, because they're reacting, they will react to something else the same way. They're not actually in their conscious mind thinking about it. Um, 
But if you, but that, so, so like there's three positions here. Number one, if it's toxic, my recommendation is that you really, you really rethink how important this relationship is to you because any time you spend with this person is detrimental. That's not good. That's not good. Especially if your value in life is to grow and to try to get better and you're trying to break out of old paradigms that you were with or you maybe you're trying to break out of trauma experiences that you had as a child. To, re, to put yourself back into those situations or to allow those people to be with your children is a dangerous thing. It's a really dangerous yeah. thing. Dysfunctional, everybody's a little bit dysfunctional. So that's about communication, right? And it, usually, usually people... If they're if they if they're willing to be agreeable, you can you can work with it. But you also have to know what your point is that you go I'm out. Whether that means that you're done for the day or you're done for the month or whatever it is. And then if if that is going to be your line, you have to do what you say you're going to do because the other person's never going to learn. Every time you allow it to happen, they're going to keep pushing it, Steph. Yes. They're going to keep going over that yes. boundary, and they're going to learn that they can do that. They can bully you. They can abuse you. They can you know. They can do those things. So that's what I think. All right. Awesome. I think we hit that question. Okay. All right. Next one. <laughs> and this is, this always surprises me when people ask us this. What is your morning routine? Want me to share my morning routine first? Go for it. All right. Yeah. So I have, I have a pretty, um, a pretty like disciplined, regular morning routine. So I wake up pretty much the same time every morning. It's early. I'm an early bird. So I love waking up early. I think I usually like, get out of bed like five, between 5.30 and 6. That's early. Um, I never snooze. So I never, yeah. I don't even really use an alarm clock. I just kind of wake up um, and I get up immediately. So I don't lay in bed. I don't like have a conversation in my head about, oh, I'm so tired or right. whatever. I'm awake. I get up. I'm, I'm up and ready. I then... Right away, get myself a drink of water. I do yoga every single day during the week. Well, actually four out of five days generally during the week. I do yoga for about 30 to 35 minutes. It just helps me like stretch my body, get back in my body. And the whole time I'm thinking about what the day is going to, what the day is going to bring, how I want the day to be. After yoga, I grab my cup of coffee and I sit down in the living room and I just sit in silence for about 20 to 30 minutes. I think some people would call that meditation. I've never been very good at meditation, good, quote unquote, good at meditation. Um, Cause my mind likes to wander. But in the mornings when I sit with my coffee, I'll just sit and stare out the window or I'll sit outside on our screened in porch. And I'll just think about how I want to show up during the day, what I want to get accomplished during the day. And then I push it to the future. So I take it from, I visualize myself in my present day. And then I think about where I want to be in one to three years, how I want to feel in one to three years, what I want to experience in one to three years. So that's really tied to our vision, right? Like I'm constantly focused on what our vision is. And yes. Brandon and I have a shared vision for our relationship and we also have a vision for, for life is now. So I'm focused on that for at least a good 15 to 20 minutes every single day. It seems a little crazy. Like Brandon will come downstairs from, from, you know, working on the Peloton or whatever. And I'll just be, I'll just be sitting there staring like blank stare out the window. But to me, that's a super, super valuable time for me to get centered and focused yeah. on creating my day and also creating my future. And then from there, I go into just getting ready. So I go into taking shower, you know, listening. Sometimes I'll listen to music. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast. I've been listening to more podcasts recently. Um, so I'm like filling my head with, with positive stuff, getting myself ready for the day. And then we're out the door. And that's, that's my morning routine. Cool. 
Mine is, um, mine's changed a little bit over the last couple of years because of our Tem 90 uh, call in the, that we have in the morning, which kind of incorporates my morning routine. So I'm like you. When I get up, when I wake up, I get up. Uh, no snooze. Don't look at my phone. You know, I'm usually up before my alarm goes off. So I wake up, I get up. Um, I usually make a cup of coffee. I sit, I sit there, you know, for a little while with coffee, doing the same thing you're doing, just kind of thinking about how I think mm-hmm. want things to go. And then, um, I start to get ready. And as I'm getting ready, I start thinking about, I may actually at this point put, uh, like an audio book on and I start thinking about what I want to teach this day today, how I want to actually teach something, concepts, new ideas, whatever, get a take, have a shower, get dressed. Uh, and then by that time it's, it's either it's time to leave to come to the office. And then I get to the office and I finalize what I'm going to do in the morning in our morning teaching at, at 9am. So then after that, then I'm on that, I'm on that call and the day is on its way. Yeah. There are two things. One, I do not check my email in the morning. I do not. I, yes, I pick up my phone and I check my texts, but only to see if I've gotten some kind of weird emergency text from my kids yeah. in the middle of the night. Like that's the only reason I pick up my phone in the morning. And then two, when I get to the office, the first thing I do is I think about my day, look at my tasks, and I write down the three most important things that I need to get done that day. That's my like little productivity hack, yeah. right? Because I, over the course of the day, there's potential for me to get bombarded <laughs> by all different types of things, just right? Like it just, <laughs> it happens. Like it's, it's, it's business. And in the position that I am, you know, I'm, there are, there are, there are things that happen that need my attention. Um, that could be last minute things. So I always write down the three things that I need to get accomplished before I go home or before I go to bed at night. Cause sometimes I'll, I'll finish work at home. Um, but those, that really helps keep me on track. It helps me think about what are my three main things today? Cause how many times, how many times do you start work and you think you have your, any idea of what you want to get accomplished? And then it's seven o'clock at night and you realize you didn't do that thing. That was really important. Yes. Yeah. So I have a little like to do note pad thing next to me and I just write those three things down and I check them off when they get done. They're also in our project management software, but I like to have them sitting right in front of me on paper. I'm kind of old school that way. Yeah. Cool. All, All right. right. And the last question, uh, this is a big one. I, I think that this, we get this question a lot in terms of relationships and we get this question a lot in terms of um, hiring. So the question is, how do I get over my trust issues? This, this is an interesting question because um, trust issues start with you. And I didn't know that. I mean, I really did not understand that. I, I had a very different concept of trust several years ago. And then I came across that book, Trust by Alanya Van Zandt, mm-hmm. which completely rearranged my mind around it. And then it was kind of, then it made a lot of sense. Like, Oh, of course, well, if you can't trust yourself, how do you actually set up solid trust with anybody else? You, you don't actually know what it means to trust because you can't trust yourself. So that was a, that really rearranged how I was going to start doing things. So when somebody asked me the question, this question today, I always talk to them first about how they manage trust with themselves. How well do they trust themselves? Because the concepts behind it and what it is that you need to do, you need to be able to do with yourself first so that you can understand what it even looks like in somebody else. Don't, don't you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, it's funny because we got this question from from one of our um, 
Elite Mind members. I remember this distinctly in one of our Q&As, and she was asking about trust. And you said something about, you know, are you a trustworthy person? And she popped on. You were like, are you a trustworthy person? And she said, yes, I'm a very trustworthy person. If I tell someone I'm going to do something, I do it. And then I came on and I said, I said, how many times do you tell yourself you're going to do something and you don't do it? And she was, she got like stone silent. (laughs) She's like, all the time. And I'm like, then you're not a trustworthy person. That's hard to hear. It's really hard to hear because people, people want to think that they're trustworthy, right? And to the outside world, they might be. Like if someone asks them to do something, they'll do it. Or if they say they're, they tell someone they're going to do something, they do it. To them, that equals trust, trustworthy in right. their mind. But yet, they'll be the same people to say, oh, I'm not going to have a glass of wine tonight. And the first thing they do when they get home is they have a glass of wine. Right. Right. Or I'm going to carve out 30 minutes to exercise tomorrow morning. And then they sleep through that 30 minutes. Those little infractions prove that you're not a trustworthy person. Yeah. And you got to continue to work on it to keep them up. Because if you don't, those little excuses that you make, I mean, they just, it's so easy to step into your own personal excuse. Like it's one thing, like I'm going to keep my word with this person, but then you don't do it with yourself because you listen to the excuse because you're tired or you don't feel well or whatever the reason is. You have to work through those excuses like mm-hmm. one by one to overcome them to be able to do it. And and those little self-betrayals, and they are self-betrayals. They are. Like, let's, let's get clear. You say you're going to do something to yourself, and then you don't do it. You've just betrayed yourself. Those feed your negative voices. 100%. Those betrayals make those negative voices so loud in your head. They feed the, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, who do you think you are, yep. I'm going to make someone mad, they're all going to leave. All those voices that all of us have or had, <laughs> Yep. You know, those little betrayals feed that. Yeah, there was a, there, I don't know if it was Proctor that said this, I think he introduced me to it, I don't know if it was from some literature though, something about what use is it to make great vows of commitment to the same old rule breaker, Right. Like keep to keep saying you're going to do something but not do it just destroys your self-esteem. Yes. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, and then in turn feeds those negative voices. And that's another question we always get to is how do we, how do we get those negative voices to go away? And I really think, and this has been based on my experience. I mean, I have trust tattooed to my wrist. To my wrist. It's your mantra. Right? It's my mantra. <laughs> like I'm, I do not say that I'm going to do something and then not do it, whether it's to somebody else or whether it's to me, because I know that if I say I'm going to do something and I don't do it, that I'm betraying myself and those voices in my head are going to come back. Yeah. And right now it's pretty quiet in my head. And for a long time, it was a cacophony yeah, of, of naysayers in yep. my brain. I mean, ev- from everything to how I look, to what I did to, I mean, it was, I mean, everybody has those voices, right? Every, like every, it's, it's, all of us they're do. They're playing in the background. Um. So to answer this, how do I get over my trust issues? You're dead on. You have to start with yourself. Yeah, start being your word. Be a trustworthy person. Yeah, don't say you're going to do something. I think the easiest, the first thing that kind of gives a person a little bit of relief here is give yourself permission to not overcommit. Don't say you're going to do something that you damn well know you're not going to do. Just start committing to the things that you know that you're going to do and start building from there. And then you start to build that muscle and those voices start to quiet down. They do. When you do that. It's the difference between saying, um, 
I'm not going to eat sugar for the next 90 days and I'm not going to eat sugar today. Start with, exactly. start with today, today. and start build today. off of that. Start small, no matter how small it is, and let it build and gain momentum yeah. from that point. One day at a time. Yeah. All right. That was great. Those are our FAQs. Awesome. Hey everybody, this is David Nagel with the Successful Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we would love to know what your questions are. Send us your morning routine. Let us know if you have trouble having trust. Do you set good boundaries with your family? We'd really be interested to know. You can DM us at, at Life Is Now Inc. in our Instagram account, and we can't wait to hear from you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to know more, go to lifeisnowinc.com.